I'm Bub. Welcome to Bub on Purpose, the podcast. I believe that a life driven by purpose can lead to a more fulfilling life. So I ask passionate people why they do what they do. I dive deep into conversations with people of all ages who have developed their life purpose and who can inspire, offer advice, share techniques for developing purpose, and articulate their perspectives. As this podcast is in the early stages, I'm really just excited to dive in and learn myself and share that with you guys. So if you're here in this early stage, I really appreciate you for listening and I hope you take away something valuable. It's not just this generation's fault that they feel so lost and that they're all trying to find their calling but can't. You've just been given more opportunities than anyone else ever had before. You have to try to look for something deeper than the culturally constructed. There's urgency to this passion thing, so I think you're really on to something. We're talking about whether we survive on the planet or not. I would live my life as if I was going to write a book about it. What would people say about me at my funeral? You really have to have a healthy disrespect for other people's opinion. You know, life is not this guarantee. We're in, there's no guarantee in life. The truck runs me down right after this interview. I fucking died doing everything I could possibly have done. The voice inside of you that's asking those questions deserves to be honored. That's your truth. That's your clarity. That's your passion. All right, here is an episode I recorded in the fall and have sat on it until now. I think it will be especially intriguing for those of you who have considered a next step in education and those who are continually looking to educate themselves. After graduating from Kingston University, which is in Kingston, England, in graphic design and seeking advice from designers she admired, Stacy Wolsey, who I'm going to be talking with today, found that postgraduate education was unofficially the only way in for her. But when she realized it would cost her £40,000, including living expenses, she came up the with Make Your Own Masters Project, a series of briefs she requested from designers and completed in her own time between bar jobs. She completed four projects over 18 months, which resulted in a final project, which she exhibited in her own design show. The four projects she did were based around anthropological futures, the study of current behaviors for future speculation. The four projects were pretty cool, in my opinion, and pretty diverse in scope. Number one, she called New Coal, a project that looks at a speculative future for working-class mining towns. Number two, Faith in the Fish, a study on microplastics as a modern parasite. Number three, how we might redesign milk for those who actually need it. And if you can't already notice, they all sort of have an environmental tie to them. And... Number four is called Dirty Soaps, a project about exposing infants to just enough dirt while maintaining the parental need to nurture and protect. 
In her words, Make Your Own Masters has allowed and enabled her to forge her own discipline, which is anthropological futures, and it's given her confidence in her own work, her voice, and what she can bring to this industry. It's allowed her to build a professional network of 100-plus peers, mentors, and briefers, develop a portfolio that has allowed her to work with brands and institutions such as Selfridges, BBC, ICA, John Lewis, Science Gallery, Dezine, and more. I made two rookie mistakes in this episode. The first is that I went ahead with the podcast even though the room she was in was a bit noisy, so her audio isn't great. The second is that I forgot to begin recording for the first few minutes. Anyways, in the beginning, she talked about how she found out that she was dyslexic at 18, and because she didn't realize it for so long, she she had to work really hard to learn things and figure them out in different ways, which figuring things out in different ways, I would say, is definitely one aspect of creativity. And so I began to speculate that this is one of the reasons she got creative and figured out how to get a master's without the 40,000 pounds or roughly $46,000. She spoke about how Make Your Own Masters came about. She worked at some design firm not learning much, at least not of what she wanted to learn, and realizing she wasn't really a designer, but still wanted to create projects worth having in her portfolio. So she decided to do what she called freelance learning, intentional, self-driven learning. Before I'll jump into our conversation, here's a quote from Stacy: We need to make education less elitist and create practical solutions that are not restricted by income, location, or background. What were your friends and family's response to the Make Your Own Masters when you told them? My friends... Um majority of them did my BA course with me so they were always kind of they were on board really quick and I think they kind of just thought like that they thought I was crazy but they were like (laughs) they liked the idea so they backed me in that um but they were very much like do you know how hard this is going to be um and my family were they've always kind of my mum has been kind of my biggest cheerleader from day one and kind of as much as she can't support me financially, she has always kind of backed me into going into such a creative field. Um, it's not really a thing. No one in my family's ever done anything creative and or anybody we know, but she was kind of as determined as I was that that's what I wanted to do. And that's why that's what I'd kind of do. Um, but she very much, and the majority of uh, people from home don't understand the landscape of a creative industry and kind of how competitive it is, or also kind of the motivation to work for very little um, to kind of be in that job. So as much as they couldn't understand why I was doing it, they also really did get it. Um, and they backed it 100%, but the logic of me kind of, technically being unemployed throughout this and being the poorest I've ever been but working harder than I've ever worked 
yeah. they just couldn't get their heads around that. Um, yeah. Did did it feel like an investment of your time, or did it feel like you were? What did it feel like? It it definitely changes. There, I think that's how I always have to justify it to myself that as much as I'm not earning any money, I'm spending the invisible money on myself. Um, yeah. But that was definitely the worst feature feature like element of the whole thing. I think. I could kind of keep going with this as long as I want, but money was the only kind of deadline I had and the only real reality check throughout the whole thing. And mm. that's what made it difficult. It was, it took a lot of the enjoyment out of it a lot of the time because I was so unstable and yeah. everyone around you has kind of a real job with real money that goes into their real bank accounts. And yeah. I kind of <laughs> didn't know when I would kind of be getting paid or get any work from one week to the next. Uh, but I do think you become resilient to that kind of stuff. Um, and after so long, I kind of, well, I started to believe that money doesn't exist because the very little that I earn, I don't know how I'm still living <laughs> in London. <laughs> but when you kind of, I kind of had this logic that if it got desperate, I just stopped. And there were definitely times it did, but I just kind of carried on anyway. Um, and if I've been doing it for two years and I'm still kind of floating, it's not that scary after a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just to describe the structure a bit more, I believe you completed, what, four projects over 18 months? Yeah, that's right. Four briefs. Did you sort of decide on the structure before or was it like, like you were describing, you're just floating and you knew you wanted to do projects, but you didn't know how long each project would last? No, there was a bit more of a a general structure. I had the idea, the initial idea was that I was going to ask the designers and the artists that I kind of really liked, the kind of those that were out there doing the work I wanted to do, it was those people I'd ask for briefs. Um, mm. And I kind of... I initially set myself a year because I was like, I've been interning for a year and I don't feel any further on than I did this time last year. So what's another why? year if I'm in control of it? Real quick, why do you, th what was it about the internships that you didn't feel like you were further on? Because I think I was kind of going in between like straight branding, graphic design and advertising and they were the only two options available with the kind of portfolio I had, but I knew neither of those areas were right. So I needed to make new work and change something or else I'd kind of just keep going round in that circle. Wow. Did getting the briefs from um, the designers you went to, did you just know you liked their work and you wanted any brief from them or did you give them any sort of direction as far as what you're interested in yeah it was probably the first I I knew I liked them and I knew I liked what they were doing um but I had no idea why uh, a lot of the kind of briefers were doing much more kind of future facing work um but in completely different areas and I, I couldn't tie together what what it was that I wanted to do so um I kind of approached them all individually with the idea of kind of 
curating this MA and just asked them to set me any brief. Um, I kind of knew these people would be really busy. So it was anything from if you've had a side project you've wanted to work on, can I just have a, a go at it? If you've already written a brief to somebody years ago, can you just send me that? Or kind of if you have a bit more time, do you want to kind of chat over common interests? So we both kind of get something out of the research and the the kind of hmm. experimentation. Um, and the results of were really were a mix of those things. Um, Thomas, who sent me the first brief, he was teaching at Rhode Island School of Design at the time, and he'd written a brief for his students, so just sent me that over. Whereas Daisy Ginsburg and Sital, um, two of my other briefers, we kind of, they really worked with me to kind of chat through areas of interest. And the fourth brief, um, the one set by Room Y at John Lewis, it was an area that they were looking into as a company, and they mm. just set me to kind of gave me the general outline of it and let me have a go at it alongside. Can you take me through either one exciting briefs that you liked or all four of them if you want? Uh, yeah, so the first one was set by Thomas Thwaites and the, I think this was the hardest one, but on reflection has turned out to probably be my favourite project. Um, mm. The project's now called New Coal and it's about... Um, so the, the super material graphene... Um, Wait, real quick. What is a super material? So, so graphene is this material that can pretty much do anything. MIT are all over it. Um, but it's really hard to harness. It's a 2D material, but when it's layered up, it's kind of stronger than steel, but super lightweight. Mm. Um, so it's kind of, when you kind of research that as a material, it's, it's super interesting. Um, but kind of industries are really struggling to harness it and i found a piece of research that graphene can be found inside coal so wow i kind of then i knew that i was interested in this idea of kind of design through storytelling and much more speculative design and i'm from so doncaster where i mentioned i was from is an ex-mining town so it was really kind of heavily mining industry was kind of the culture of the town and it was the thing that kind of kept the community together and um, in the late 80s when there was a miners strike and the industry was kind of stripped from Doncaster it's kind of left it as one of these towns that are for a long time it's been floundering and kind of discovering its identity um, and I was always kind of really interested in that as a story and then when I realised that there was this graphene inside coal. I started to think about what if if this becomes a, a thing and coal does have this whole new use, would there be a resurgence in these industries? And what would that industry, what would a material kind of future look like in a place like Doncaster? Um, yeah. So I just kind of used that as a starting point and made this kind of really speculative story that was telling the kind of the stories and the future from a much more working class standpoint. Um, and there was kind of a story about girls in the salons, um, dog fur and dog fighting and kind of... And dog what? Dog fighting. 
it's a, it's a really uh. strange project but they were all, it, it became these kind of short stories all built in this kind of future industrial town um and that was kind of that was a really long project and it eventually got commissioned by the bbc which was great um what do what do you mean commissioned by them uh, so it took me so long to figure out what i was doing with that project because i was trying to find my feet with the whole make your own masters and learning on your own um and when i kind of got to grips with what i thought this project was going to be um there was a comp there was an open call by the BBC to um, send in any work, any audio work that's just kind of new and that they don't, is kind of refreshing. So I sent in this piece as kind of a, and just a, a bit of a whim really. And then they ended up funding me to make the work. Wow. Very cool. Was that must've been sort of a break uh, to help you keep going a little bit longer? Yeah, it was great. It came really late on. Um, because I was kind of doing the project anyway, but it was it was such nice timing. Yeah. It, I think it came just before the exhibition, so I didn't see much of that money. Oh, I see. Did um did you sort of approach each of the projects from an existing process that you had already learned or developed while studying graphic design in undergrad, or did you have guidance along the way? I think um, my undergrad as well was definitely, as much as the title was graphic design, it wasn't. It was much more about ideas and problem solving. So I definitely was kind of used to solving problems in a really different way. But it took me a really long time to kind of get back into that learning mentality. I think I'd spent so long working by this point that it was really hard to kind of just jump straight back into learning so I was definitely slow to kind of come up with ideas and get my imagination going again um so that was quite difficult but I think it was a it was a very new way of learning and I think I definitely got quicker throughout the year but I've still not kind of written down any set kind of structural rules to it yeah I had um highlighted in the article with Dezine that you did I think you said you have to force things to happen not just expect to be told and then I think you also said that you struggled due to the lack of supervision can can you describe the the sort of contradicting ideas of those two yeah, there was um, the lack of structure was was difficult because actually the forcing things to happen was it was just me. Um, no one was watching me do this. No one was checking in to make sure I was doing it. Uh, so the only person I really had to answer to was myself. And um, and when you've got no deadline, if your friends are going to the pub, you're going to the pub. Like yeah. you're not, <laughs> you're not <laughs> accountable for much. So it was really hard, kind of keeping myself motivated through that. Um, especially when, like, I didn't know what the end was going to be. I, yeah. I knew I, I was never getting a qualification for this, so it could have just been an absolute waste of time. So it was, it was hard motivating yourself through that. And whenever I kind of needed help, it wasn't around me. I had to kind of be quite 
systematic in terms of like, I know I'm stuck here, but I also know I'm not going to be able to talk to anyone for at least a week about this because I have to yeah. email them, see when they're free, get a meeting in. Uh, so you eventually kind of just have to trust uh, your gut to an extent that nothing can really go that wrong, even if you're stuck with a project, kind of take a punt in a direction. And I had to really learn to kind of trust myself and, and my skill a little bit more. Rather than relying on a tutor to tell you if something's right or wrong, I kind of just had to keep working without those answers. Um, which now, upon reflection, is the most valuable skill. Well, one of the most valuable skills that I've picked up. But at the time, it, it was hard to push through that. But now, in terms of professional work, I'm on my own anyway. So like, there's, there's no safety net there in the real world. Yeah. It was just yeah. taking that away from me while I was learning as well. Yeah. And I think I have like a similar understanding um or something to compare but I so I studied at at Pratt in Brooklyn for most of my studies and then I'd studied abroad in Berlin at the University of the Arts and I just found it interesting to compare the two styles of uh learning I guess because and I don't think I realized it as much until I went to Berlin but in New in at Pratt in the US and maybe it's more common among schools in the US but like you see your professor your des design professors multiple times a week and you have reviews with them at least once a week and you can always be in touch with them via email and such and then when I went to Berlin my professor was there once every two weeks and that was sort of your only my only time with her and so it was like much more self-driven and so I think it was like I guess I realized that there is benefit to both in the sense that when I went to Berlin I was like oh I have to drive this and then when I went back to the U.S. I was like okay I have this knowledge around me I should take advantage of it if that makes sense yeah. um how how did you feel that uh did you have people to sort of bounce off of to share ideas along the way to help guide you yeah definitely i i had the four briefers um but i was kind of yeah. really aware that they were giving me the, this learning and sharing that kind of education with me for nothing um and there's only so much that yeah. i can kind of lean on them so i kind of then worked to build up a a network of mentors so professionals in the industry but with much more kind of specific skills so if I was kind of stuck with a certain element I would know which person to go to for that kind of specific bit of knowledge um, and I built up around 30 mentors I think um, but wow. a way that I could really spread that time and pressure on an individual really thin um, and then alongside that, I decided to build up a network of peers. So I think really early on, I realized that by not being in an institution or in a studio or classroom with a group of people, similar age, on the same course, facing the same problems, that it, it could be quite a lonely journey. So yeah. I started to collect, collect, 
<laughs> like they're Pokemon. Um, <laughs> just kind of people my age that were in maybe a similar field to me, but also then that were kind of doing science degrees or working in retail, like a, a massive mixed bag of people that I could kind of go to on a much kind of easier basis just to bounce ideas off. Um, yeah. Which which works to an extent, but then the other side of that is that when you have peers, in a traditional sense, you, you are butting up against the same problems and you're living a very similar lifestyle, whereas none of my peers were doing, slash no one had ever done True. what I was doing. So it, I was coming up against problems that no one else had faced. So it, there, yeah. was, there was no one to really help in that sense and that was always quite difficult and it kind of reflects back to you describing your dyslexia without knowing it for the first 18 years that you were facing the problem and you may have had the feeling that it was more difficult than others had but you just figured a way through it yeah that that doesn't I think that makes a lot of sense it was I don't know there was I mean, there were times I wanted to give up, don't get me wrong, but I think deep down that wasn't really an option. I just I knew that yeah. there has to be a way to figure it out. And you said your peer group was quite diverse. Was your mentor group also diverse or was it a lot of designers? A lot less, a lot of designers. Um, throughout the later stages, I found a lot of people that were kind of into social enterprises and social impact kind of stuff because I think of the nature of this project and wanting to kind of maybe pursue this further. I, I found a lot of people that were really into things like that, but it was mainly designers. So I found out about Make Your Own Masters and you leading this project from an article in Design or another design um, website how did that how did that come to fruition and where what are you hoping to do with it now because it seems to be more of a thing than just your your own studies yeah um I was completely new to I think I always thought that these industries were so much bigger than me and I thought that you know if you work really hard Places like Dazeem might kind of just pick you up and tell everyone what you've been doing. But the reality yeah. is people are like, no, you have to tell them what you're doing. You have to um, like put a press release together, tell them the story. Like, And for the two years, it had just been me kind of podding along on my own. And I was like, oh, I like have to, I've, I've kind of finished it now. I have to talk about this as something that I've done, not something that I'm doing. Um, but I think I was always kind of convinced that they wouldn't care. <laughs> Uh, I remember writing this, somebody helped me write this press release and I was just like, I feel like I'm wasting my time and I've got all these projects to finish and I've got this exhibition to do. Like, they're never going to listen to this. Um, and I kind of just sent it off again on a whim. And then, again, I think it seems to have been a bit of perfect timing that they're again starting to question what education is and why is it still elitist in 2019? And then mm. it pops up this one woman band that's, you know, kind of had the same realization as they have. Um, 
and but for me what was really great there was I like I was saying that I was just doing this without a clue what was going to happen um, and I could have got it all wrong and no one could have cared and I could have just wasted loads of time and money yeah but it was it was the first kind of way off like people have kind of listened to this and people are interested um, and that was that was great if you were doing it again what would you do differently I think from like a really sunshine place, I would enjoy it more. I think I worried mm-hmm. way too much, again, about money and whether it was going to work. And But what I kind of also gave myself was the freedom just to make work I really wanted to make for a year and a half. But I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to you know, make it work and prove a point. Um, and a lot of the time I wish I'd just enjoyed it. And... Mm-hmm. A second to that, I think I wish it. I I ended up in the end calling this project the Great Hustle because I was getting space from people and favors left, right, and center. Um, but the one thing that I never managed to sort out was money and mm. being paid well and somebody kind of funding me through this. And I wish that I'd have spent a bit more time figuring out how I balance that work life balance a bit better, just to kind of take a bit of that pressure off and I think now looking back that could have been possible I just was kind of running into it full pelt so I didn't take the time to really you know I think the the one thing that I neglected in this was me being comfortable because I was just kind of so up for doing it so focused yeah it seems like you would recommend it to others is that the case yeah I would I think I've kind of always said that if you can do an MA, go and do one. It's a hell of a lot easier. Um, <laughs> but if you can't, it's, it feels weird talking about it in this way, but I do believe that I've kind of built a viable alternative. Like I feel like I've learned way more than I anticipated learning. And the way it's helped me kind of talk about what I'm doing and what I want to do and the confidence it's kind of built in me has kind of surpassed my own expectations and and that's why I kind of feel confident that it, it did work um but I'm also not saying that this is the only way um totally this was kind of one idea and I and I figured out how to do it one way but it, I think it also proves that there's got to be hundreds of ways of doing something like this I totally agree it seems that diversity in all cases should be um sought after and right now there's not a I mean there's a whole lot of potential for diversity in education but not uh available readily I guess yeah and I think that's kind of been now I'm trying to kind of roll this out again that has kind of become my new mission statement because I think a lot of us are working in industries that talk about diversity a lot on a trying to create a diverse workforce and workplace and make work that's got lots of different voices involved but how can you ever create a diverse workplace if you don't have a diverse education system and how can you employ talent with the qualifications if the people if kind of like you're cutting off 90% of the people from even getting that education very true 
what are you up to now in real quick when did you finish this uh, i finished it in june in june yeah. so you've had a few months since then what what have you been up to or what are you most passionate about now having finished that yeah um i ran away for a few months and <laughs> did not where'd you go off to uh france and i went home for a long time to kind of recover um <laughs> yeah i'm <laughs> Now I've kind of, since the exhibition, I've had like, kind of been, I've had like 150 plus emails from people all around the world saying that, you know, they've had the same problem. How do they do this? Um, wow. So at the minute, I'm kind of trying to figure out how I run this kind of experiment again, but this time with a group of people. So I'm looking to yeah. take on a cohort of 10 in January. Um, and in the meantime, I've been given a residency with Selfridges. They're like a, they are a really kind of luxury department store in London. They're very fancy. How, how did that come about? They were, they heard about the exhibition, I think, and then asked me to go in and present my work. And they were kind of, a lot of the projects, I know I only mentioned one book, a lot of the projects were talking about how... So I ended up calling my MA Anthropological Futures because they were the kind of most common themes that run through the work. A lot of it was anthropology, so kind of looking at how humans behave throughout history in a in contemporary sense, and then kind of using those behaviours to kind of do more future-facing projects. So they were kind of interested in looking at problems such as sustainability, but from a much more human behavioral standpoint and what these problems can look like from a spectrum of viewpoints so from a fisherman to somebody working in a supermarket in Ireland like the future is very different and there's so many stories to be told from so many individuals they were kind of interested in think solving problems in a, a, a very different way so they gave me a residency to work with them for a bit. And then alongside that, they're really kind of interested in Make Your Own Masters and this idea of an industry-sourced education. So they're kind of behind that project too. That's Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you have about five more minutes or how much? Um, two. Two. Okay, let's go quick. I have um, two quick questions. Who is the most passionate person you know? And then I, yeah, I can give you the second question if you want to think on that for a second. The second question is, what book has most impacted you? Um, there, wait, I'll answer the second one first. There is a, there's two books. There's one called Speculative Futures by designers Dunn and Raby. And when I first kind of read through that, it was kind of, they were kind of all the interests that, that I couldn't quite put words to and figure out what they were. They were somehow giving them some sort of context. And the second is a book that yep. I can't remember the name of, but it's something along the lines of uh, A Day in the Life of, and it's, it's a book, um, but each page is just the day-to-day -day goings about of a hundred different people, I think, in London. And it tells you what a different wow. day looks like from all those different people's perspectives 
So I find that. I like, yeah, I like how that ties into what you did. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll look into that and make sure I find the right one when I find it. Yeah, I'll have a look too. I need to find it. And did any, did anyone quickly come up um, as the most passionate person you know? <laughs> the only person is, um, <laughs> but I don't know if this is relevant. But I can't help thinking about my sister's boyfriend. He's an yeah, electrician. Yeah, real quick, what does He's he an do? Electrician. He's an electrician. He's from Donny. But you get that boy going on a subject and he is so passionate <laughs> and he's kind of so into his business and money and we're very much polar opposites. But <laughs> you bring him down to London and you show him a project where I made a religion about parasites and he kind of stalls up and he's like, I get it, Stiggs. And like, we're from completely wow. different, we do completely different things, completely different logic, but he backs me 100% and I back him. That's awesome. I like I like hearing that. I haven't gotten that one before. <laughs> um, well, I better respect your time. So thanks so much for sharing sharing your story and thanks for responding I don't I'm sure you've had a lot of requests in the last few months so thanks for no worries thank you for having me okay guys I hope you enjoyed this episode of the bub on purpose podcast the books she mentioned seem to be Londoners the days and nights of London now as told by those who love it hate it live it left it and long for it by Craig Taylor you can just search Londoners and you'll find it The second is Speculative Everything, Design, Fiction, and Social Dreaming by Anthony Dunn. I'm interested in diving a bit deeper into conversation with Stacey after this first podcast. If you would like to hear a second episode with her, please message me on Instagram at bubonpurpose and let me know. To find out more about Make Your Own Masters, whether to check out her own project, Her Own Masters, or what she's leading now for other people, please visit makeyourownmasters.com. Thanks for listening. If you would like to get show notes from the learnings that I hope you gathered during this conversation, you can email bubonpurpose at gmail.com, and you will get a response with all of the show notes. Make sure to title the subject of your email something like show notes, or your grandma's cookie recipe, your friend's dog's middle name, or really anything. I'll get back to you. Also, I would love if you would send me your suggestions of what you did or didn't like, or who you think I should interview next on the podcast. And again, please send that to bubonpurpose at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. If you could subscribe and share, that would be awesome. Uh, If you don't want to, let me know why, and maybe we can make the podcast better. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, go follow us at bub on purpose on Instagram. Uh, I don't know why I just said us. It's just me. 